Hello, and welcome to 100% Real with Ruby. Today, I have Clara back on, and we were talking how we need like a whole series of just talking about the ins and outs of the psyche and the mindset when it comes to this. And a lot of people feel like, oh, I already know all about the mindset, but I really want to improve this. Or I, I already know about the mindset. I'm already doing all the mindset work. I'm very self-aware already. I just know that I need to change, like insert thing here. So it's like, we, we know that we don't like where we are right now, but we feel like we already know the very right thing to do next. But at the same time, there is, there's like this ambivalence. There's like this incongruence that we think we're aware of, but we're not really aware of. But I'm going to let Clara introduce this because I'm probably speaking Spanish or Japanese or something like that because she's the one that knows the terms that make more sense to you. So I'm going to let Clara take it away. And yeah, tell us a sure. little, tell us a little bit more about this crazy analytical self that we have inside our heads that we think we're aware of, but we're not really aware of it. Yeah, it, it's such a it's such a great topic to to start the conversation with, and I think because self awareness is something that's become like almost a chuck away term that people just kind of like talk about their own self awareness, but it's a in psychology we talk a lot about the meta awareness, so like you're aware of the fact that you're being aware, <laughs> and it's almost like having that observer self be able to look in and actually really step away. Um, I think often we don't realize that. Um just because you're looking around, you might not realize that you're wearing, you know, tinted glasses. And it's not until you kind of learn how to remove the tinted glasses that you realize actually what was there for you. So back to the point in terms of self-awareness and how clients get tangled up. We were talking a little bit about how um, a lot of clients get really scared when it comes to um, engaging with a coach. And I, and I don't mean scared as in like, oh my God, I don't want to do this. People might be fully engaged with a coaching program. They might be really willing to work with a coach. They might have sought out that support. They might have recognized that they couldn't go at it alone. However, when even, even when they reached out, even when they have paid a coach, hired a coach to work with them, when the coach provides advice and kind of that, you know, the, the informed um, steps as to kind of what, what are we kind of going to do next, the clients sometimes panic a little bit um, when they don't know exactly what's going to happen. So it's a bit like this kind of need to predict the future and there's this sort of need to to really control and, and know what's coming their way. Um, because well it's quite scary you know to change when you've been really used to and uh, we spoke about this in our last podcast when you've been really used to kind of doing things a certain way even when you re recognize that you're willing to hand over some of that control to somebody else actually when they step in and they start maybe working in a slightly different fashion to what your brain is perhaps used to it become it can become really panic inducing so the example that we were talking about is as coaches we rarely know kind of what we're going to be doing with a client after like perhaps a period of three months like we do work in short-term goals of course we can map out someone's journey particularly if they've got like a time-based goal if we're kind of working backwards but actually the the specifics and the nuance of that are going to vary so much because actually we can only go by when we start working with a client we can only go by 
the information that they provided to begin with. And unfortunately, most of us are terrible, absolutely terrible at recognizing where we trip up. Um, we're terrible at recognizing actually perhaps the support that we need. And so even in, in completing a consultation form, we might not be able to recognize the specific areas of that we might need support with or, or like how we might respond to the uh, to the coaching process. And so it's very common to start working with a coach or to have even worked with a coach for a while, but to keep expecting your coach to um, tell you what you're going to be doing for the next year. Um, and in many ways, that can make sense. It calms someone's anxiety. They can sort of predict they can, you know, they've done this their entire life, the projection to the future planning everything, mapping it all out. But the reality is that it's impossible to do that. You know, you can only know um, to a certain extent what you're going to be doing with the client for a short period of time. And actually, you need the weeks of data to be able to modify that story. And the decision that you make will change week to week. That's why we do weekly check-ins, not once a quarter check-ins. It's because we need to be able to monitor that data on a weekly basis. Um, and, and, on, and on that uh, note, a lot of the time, we are very time warped. Actually, no, not a lot of the time. 99% of the time, the majority, we are very time warped because when you're in the process of change, it feels a lot longer than it is. But then you look back on the year and it's like, I accomplished nothing this whole year because I tried to accomplish way too much that I got overwhelmed and I ended up spinning my wheels and I ended up trying this and trying that. And then I ended up being a stubborn brat and doing what I wanted to do anyway and then realizing that it wasn't what I needed. So now I have to backtrack and do it all again. And that that kind of was my story, except I was a stubborn brat for three years because everything that I already knew, I told myself, now nah, that's not what's right for me because I have this stubborn body fat around my stomach. As an example, I hated my waist. I had stories I told myself about the fact that my waist can't get smaller because it's just how I'm built, which is a known fact. My waist cannot get smaller and I cannot go wishing to look like other people on social media because my rib cage kisses my hip bones i do not have a waist and i'm five foot one not five foot seven like half of the supermodels on freaking instagram but that aside even if i was like even if i was just comparing myself to myself it's just this expectation that okay i still see that i have a lot of fat to lose i need to put myself into a fatless phase and stay in a fatless phase until i lose it or just have to keep doing more and more until i do that oh actually let's let myself build for a little oh, nah, this isn't working. Let's go back into the, well, it's not that it's not working. It's that it's not working at the pace that you think it should be working at. Let's go back into a fatless phase because it has to be that. And this whole wheel spinning. And the thing is, if anyone looked at my old photos back then, I was just thinking about this today while I was in the kitchen in my thinking space, aka waiting for my friggin' potatoes to cook. But <laughs> it, it's it's like, if I share those photos of my pre-phase or my build phase compared to where I am now, it's like, yeah, but you weren't even that fat. And it, the funny thing is, is that I felt like I was a friggin' elephant. Mm. And this brings into, like, things are never the same in retrospect when you look back at it. Like, there are some where I'm just like, I know that that body there is one that I never want to go back to again. I hated how I felt in that body. My belly was huge. It was stubborn. My hormones were whacked. I felt like shit. I was overtraining. I was training six days a week. I was adding in a hit session. I was struggling to stick to my food. And it's never about the diet itself. It's never about the what you need to do. It's about the how you need to get there and the fact that you're, this is the part that I'm bridging into because you spoke about this before. But mm. it's 
not even the how to get to where you want to be because there are so many hows put out there. It's what is it that's keeping you stuck or more so how are you keeping yourself stuck? What are you unaware of that you think you're aware of, but you're not really aware of it? Mm-hmm. It sounds kind of silly, but the thing is you might think, I already said this, it's obvious. Like if you look at someone, I said this in the last podcast, but if you look at someone who has anorexia or someone with an eating disorder, they think they're fat. You look at them, are they fat? No, they're scared to gain weight. You know they need to gain weight. Are they going to accept that? No, because it isn't about the body. The way that we perceive ourselves is so wrong. And when I was dick skin lean on stage, I thought I was still had fat to lose. And when I didn't think that I had fat to lose, I felt like I was a flat tick and I was losing my muscle. And now I need to plump my muscle up. Oh, but what if I get fat? And then as soon as I got off that stage, the only thing I had on my mind is I cannot get fat. And then I tried to eat more. And all I did is I'm feeling fluffy. And you see people coming off stage saying, I'm feeling fluffy. Do they look freaking fluffy to you? No. Now reflect on that when it comes to body image. Because Mm. I just gave you very clear examples of when fluffy isn't even fluffy. And Mm. again, skin moves, bodies move, humans move. And by that, I mean like you're meant to have belly rolls. You're meant to like sit and your belly is meant to fold over your pants when you sit because there's a belly there. You don't just stay sucked in. Like, you know, those cheeks that go in and like like those fish lips when they get like the Botox or whatever in their cheeks. Mm. That's not what your stomach looks like when you sit down. But all in all, you brought in the safety, the, the safety and the defense fight, the needing safety, the defense mechanisms, the needing to know all the ins and outs, they people being scared of letting go of control, which is really the what the real aspect of it all is. It's like you want to still have control over everything. So you're resistant to it, or you're willing to do it because you're coachable, quote quote unquote, or you like doing the hard work. You're a hard worker. You do the things. You will do the things. But at the same time, you're saying that, but still wanting to have control. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what we were talking about. So I'll let you take a look yeah. at that. No, I think you make a really good point that our subjective body image and our objective body image are two very, very different things. The way that we present to the world and the way that we feel like we're presenting to the world are completely it don't aren't always aligned that that's when we kind of tend to run into trouble um across all spectrums by the way of, of like the sort of body image sort of you've got people that feel like they're a lot smaller than they actually are in terms of like the muscularity dysmorphia that we tend to see and equally people that perceive themselves to be a lot bigger than they actually are um and i think you also bring up the good point of knowing knowing and doing being two very different things just because we know something does not necessarily mean that it's going to bridge the gap to us doing so just because we know that something is good for us or best for us does not result in us actually engaging in that particular behavior because there's a lot of fear and a lot of resistance and it's kind of often the job of a psychologist certainly for me as an exercise psychologist my job is to understand well what is it that's kind of holding that person back what are those barriers that exist and coming back to what you were saying about control one of the ways in which i try to understand the world or try to understand my clients is um through a particular kind of type of therapy that that I use a lot, uh, which is called compassion focused therapy for anyone who's curious. But when we look at things from that particular angle in psychology, we use what is called a formulation, which is basically um, a, a thing that almost like a piecing of the 
a piece of the puzzle together that a psychologist will do alongside their patient or alongside their client. And so in sort of understanding that type of presentation in a client, um, what is very clear is that they have this kind of key fear of losing control. Now, the, the reason why they might fear losing control is probably things that have happened to them in the past, experiences that they've accrued throughout their life that more often than not, they didn't choose. So they're not their fault. It's just things that have perhaps happened that have then led them to have this very real, very visceral fear of losing control. And so the things that people do when they are scared of losing control is they will find any means possible to avoid even coming close to anything that could even look like losing control because it does really bring about such an intense physical mental response of just like complete push away rejection shut down whatever we want like a sort of threat response right the sort of fight flight freeze or flop response comes up straight away whenever we feel like we're coming very close to sort of that key fear being triggered that key fear in this case being that sort of loss of control and so things that people do to keep themselves safe from themselves say from their mind perhaps spiraling is double down on the control is try to predict everything is try to kind of like get a very tight grip on everything that they're doing equally they might you know try to do that with their relationships too they might kind of really build this wall between them and whoever they're trying to engage in whoever's kind of trying to help them so from a coaching perspective for any coaches listening to this um if a client if you really feel like a client is hard to reach it's probably because they've put up that wall because actually this is really scary for them so you know it's just like you, you're you might find it difficult to to connect or to kind of reach in because actually it's really vulnerable to ask them to do that. And for someone who's incredibly scared of losing control, to even let go of control, hand over control to another professional, it's terrifying because, oh my, what if what if it's not what I want? And it becomes really, really scary. Um, the unfortunate thing and kind of the apparent thing afterwards is kind of what, what keeps that cycle going, is that when we engage in these safety and defense behaviors that protect us from experiencing that key fear, often they have unintended consequences, such as in this case, we'll use the example of someone who wants to look cleaner, right? But they're already very lean, they don't have a lot of body fat, but they still don't like the way that they look. So for the coach's perspective, it is apparent that they need to go through a gaining phase to, to build, like a building phase to build muscle. Um, but as the coach recommends that the client just shuts down they're just like no i don't want to do that they kind of ruminate over and over on the fact that they don't look good that they need to change that they actually need to lose more body fat so that's kind of them trying to control their environment they might not fully engage with the building program they might not fully engage with eating enough to be able to feel that and as a result of that what happens well they stay exactly the same right and when they stay exactly the same that becomes incredibly frustrating and then they start to perhaps blame themselves and or blame their coach thinking i'm really frustrated this isn't working for me i don't like the way that i look i've been going at this for so long and i'm still looking exactly the same and what that does is the unintended consequence of them kind of not wanting to lose control leads them to then feel even worse about themselves but they didn't feel great to begin with but now they feel even worse and then because they feel even worse about themselves, they go, well, what have I done every other time that I feel bad? Well, I've just continued to try and control as much as I can. 
and then they then they keep controlling whatever they can and then the control the excessive control that excessive rigidity continues to have the unintended consequence of not being able to change at all like not, not seeing any change of progress and then they continue to not change or progress and then they continue to feel frustrated and annoyed at themselves as they coach and then they end up giving up and then like fuck it i'm just gonna do whatever i want but then change continues to not to not happen and and we can just see very very clearly what is occurring the the key though and the difficulty really is in and i i suppose the job of the psychologist in this case perhaps would be um to help that person develop um their ability to tolerate the distress that shows up when they feel like they're losing control that's kind of the difference that makes a difference how would you suggest building up if you call it distress tolerance or discomfort tolerance how can you build up the ability to sit through to recognize to accept such i guess discomfort but also realizing when your emotions are starting to flare up especially around pms week especially when you've been really busy because i feel like a lot of people do not realize just how much not making time for yourself because life is so busy impacts on your body image maybe you mm -hmm. can speak a little bit more about that as well as the other yeah one. yeah so the way that you learn to develop distress tolerance or discomfort tolerance is often through self-compassion and i know that self-compassion for most people makes them want to be sick in their mouth it kind of brings up a lot of like oh i don't need that self-compassion ew it's, it, it feels quite icky for a lot of people particularly people who struggle with this um more often than not because they tend to have a very maybe not like ex expressively like a very loud self-critic but they have a something inside of them that is kind of like oh no 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 that's that's not good that that can apply yeah everybody else has to go through a gaining phase but no you you need to continue to to lose weight and you must continue to be lean and you must continue to control so the way to do that is by building our capacity for self-compassion and that kind of is of course like it, it's an intervention in and of itself but often begins with acknowledging that um there's almost like two psychologies of compassion and i want to say we maybe touched on this a little bit last time but there's a part of compassion that's about recognizing distress or recognizing discomfort and understanding that it makes sense like just kind of being able to develop that self-awareness of huh lean rather than oh this feels really uncomfortable i don't want to do it kind of making that a bit more curious and just thinking oh how interesting i feel this entire visceral reaction right now to this idea of losing control you know what, what's that about kind of getting curious and, and almost observing our behaviors if we were seeing it for the first time or like with the curiosity of a child um and the second step then is learning to do something about it but i'll kind of stop with that first step when in in, in developing that awareness and kind of starting to develop that um sensitivity to our own discomfort it really is about cultivating our capacity to just bear witness to what's there for us and that in itself can be really difficult i'll give you an example um let's just say that someone um oh let me think someone has always hated their body right and because they've always hated their body they have developed this um this kind of really control mechanism the safety and defense behavior of um Kind of controlling their exercise and their food intake so the key fear for them might be i'm terrified of 
looking fat and you know looking disgusting to the world and so what they do to kind of compensate for that or to keep protect themselves from that you know fear becoming a reality is they will control all their food they'll control their exercise incredibly rigidly right the, the step then for them to let go of that need to control would be to look back and go huh why where did that kind of hatred for my body come from like how how is it that that is the most normal and logical response for me because i always i always talk about how all behavior makes sense in context and that's kind of part of my philosophy as a psychologist but i always say that the quote unquote and i say this with big air quotations the quote unquote abnormal or weird or wrong or faulty thoughts that we have are a very normal response to an abnormal set of circumstances. So it's not that the thinking is problematic, it's that the circumstance that led to the thinking was problematic and therefore that type of thinking makes most amount of sense in that environment. Does that kind of make sense? Or can you, do you want me to expand yeah. on that a little bit more? It does, but then what if there's some sort of cognitive dissonance within this? Maybe you can define cognitive dissonance and cognitive yeah. distortions around this because yeah, some well, people feel like that they do accept their body but inwardly they don't yeah well i mean that's again how easy it's so much easier to say that we accept something versus to actually invite ourselves to experience that acceptance right because for a lot of people this is kind of where that self-critic comes in um they feel that if they accept themselves like truly physically wholeheartedly that that will inevitably make them lazy they think oh if i don't have a self critic if if i accept myself i will stop engaging in the behaviors that are important to me if i accept myself i will stop working hard because they in their experience all of their drive to do things has been motivated by that like oh what if i fail so it's a different there's a difference between doing something to avoid failing versus doing something because you want to succeed right that that that's different and this is no that this is exactly the same and so our cognitive dissonances are just another way of our mind keeping us safe from ourselves you know it's really really useful and really it makes a lot of sense that we kind of keep that distance and that we don't recognize what's really there for us because holy shit what, what if i do actually realize that i'm not accepting myself like what does that then imply you know that that might imply that it doesn't matter how much i change that actually i need to do that that deeper work there might be the fear that if you do accept this, you have an inherent like fat phobia, or it might mean letting yourself go, or you feel like you're getting lazy, or exactly. but but like we don't realize that that fear is still us worrying about what our body is going to look like to the outward world and yeah. body dissatisfaction. And I guess I'm going to ask you a question on this later on, but like the hyperfixation on the body that we think we should have yeah so kind of to that point you know what i was saying about like the very normal faulty thinking in response to a very abnormal set of circumstances body dissatisfaction it's it's inevitable for for cisgender women primarily it is absolutely almost inevitable to be dissatisfied with our bodies when the context in the society that we've grown up in has constantly shamed our bodies has constantly shamed other women's bodies has constantly put out this messaging that we should that there's inherently something wrong with us and that we should inherently change something about us like how how the how on earth are we supposed to accept our bodies how on earth are we supposed to have helpful productive thoughts about our bodies 
when the entire our entire lives perhaps we've been exposed to a message that tells us that a there's something inherently faulty about us and b we must therefore change what we look like and what we do in order to no longer be faulty do you see what i mean so like the the thinking not liking your body it's it's inevitable it's so normal it's unsurprising really that that so many people struggle with uh their body image given the fact that our entire lives we've been told that we should dislike the way that we look i mean I, we've grown up probably similar generations of seeing you know celebrities that looked normal like on the leaner side of a body just completely being shamed on magazines being called fat oh my god i can't believe how much weight they've gained even just like bridget jones when they've got renee and um, i forget how you pronounce her last name uh but she plays roxy in chicago anyway <clears throat> this actress and like the whole trope in freaking bridget jones is that she's like really fat and and you look at it and you go eh it's this whole she looks like marlon monroe stunning gorgeous like just beautiful but the but but our entire society is being framed around <clears throat> helping women think that they do not look good. And so if our entire lives we've been grown up with that, we've grown up with that messaging, you know, to to not think that way, to not to not dislike your body, it it's odd. It is not normal to not like your to, to like your body, sorry, and now now society, because our entire society is built in a different in, in a way that sh that promotes that body dissatisfaction. And so with those types of thoughts you know for us to if we were to work on our acceptance of ourselves that might mean realizing that you know society is completely messed up sometimes it might mean realizing or coming face to face with the fact that you were fat shamed your entire life maybe coming face to face with the fact that your mother and every other female figure in your family has probably got an eating disorder or some sort of disordered eating and that's a lot to cope with that you know it's easier to not do that reconciling and to just think, oh, I just don't like my body, I'm going to change my body, then to go, oh, I wonder why I don't like my body, look back and go, holy hell, what the fuck, you know, because there's a lot of fear then to go, okay, well, if I don't, if I don't base my entire life around changing the way that I look, what, what does that even look, we don't even have a role model to know what that looks like, to even know how to go about that. What if? we are adamant in the fact that we're not comparing ourselves to anyone else. Where do these body image things come from? And what if we're comparing ourselves to an old version of ourselves that we think had it all, but looking in retrospect, it's only because we're uncomfortable with where we are now, thinking that we had it better in the past. But mm. we we think that we're not comparing ourselves to others. Yeah, I mean, we're, again, we're, we're great at doing that, but I think like we often forget that from an evolutionary perspective, and I mean like way back in evolution, actually comparison in humans, like it was completely necessary. We we evolved the capacity to compare ourselves. Animals do this in the animal kingdom. We need to know where we stand in relation to other people because comparison is an essential kind of component of being a social species. We have developed that capacity because it's absolutely imperative. We need to know in animal kingdoms, they need to know who the alpha is because if you don't recognize who the alpha is and you make a wrong move, you could get killed or you could get ostracized. And it is no different in human societies. And if we look back at like our ancestor behaviors, that's continued to be there. And so to tell ourselves that we that we don't compare ourselves to anybody, I mean, it's, it's a load of shit. It's, it's not so much about trying to not compare yourself to anybody it's about becoming aware of who you're comparing yourself to and why 
and examining perhaps what the function of that is. So if you're comparing yourself to previous version of you and you're thinking, oh my God, I had it all, I want to get back to where I was. Again, our brain is very, very good at, you know, removing the negative memories, kind of holding on to that kind of little thing like a carrot because, you know, we are just avoiding discomfort of now and we're, you know, ignoring the circumstances that have maybe led to that absolutely necessary change. I mean, I could compare myself to when I was shredded for stage and think, oh, I miss being that lean, I miss looking that way. And then just very happily forget the fact that I didn't have a functioning menstrual cycle, you know, but I could look at that and go, oh, I miss looking that way. But but do I? Do I really miss miss looking that way? Or is it just that the changes that I've had to go through to get to where I am now have perhaps made me come face to face with the fact that I actually, you know, we didn't accept my body as much as I thought that I would, that my relationship with my body was super conditional. So I feel like I've gone everywhere and I've seen you kind of like indicate that there was lots of things coming through your mind. So so chuck them at me. So many, but that last part is probably the take home message. You have to mark mark this time point because that is like not it's it's so easy to look at a past version of ourselves or to think that a past version of ourselves had it better and i i'm actually i don't i don't know what got me to this place but i'm actually lucky that i see it in a different way but i look at myself in bikinis in my i say bikinis because i marked my years but what bikini i wore on stage because oh. i needed eight freaking times yes eight mm-hmm. times but my bikini where i wore the purple bikini on stage is when I had the best physique ever. And I'm like, I wish I could just go back to that place and not take it any further because then I competed another like four or four times after that. And it was a pursuit for leaner. I can get leaner. I never let myself build enough because I needed to have that next goal. And this is, we're gonna, I wanna go back to that fear of letting control and the safety and defense mechanisms. It's like, I needed to know all the internet. I needed a set plan. I needed to make sure that there was, I'd done lots of podcasts on this. If you actually take time to listen all the way back to my very initial ones, because I used to speak a lot about my journey. I used to get asked a lot about it while I was deep into powerlifting because I was the bodybuilder that turned elite powerlifter. But thinking on that, I looked either the same or worse year after year. I looked less full, but it's funny because the leaner and leaner that I got over those comps, my thought was, oh my God, I'm still not lean enough. I still need to get leaner. I'm getting too fluffy. And each one of those comps, I was progressively leaner to the point where I couldn't even get a skin fold done because no one could even pinch my skin to the little bit. But Mm -hmm. I thought I still needed to get leaner. But no, what I was missing was the fact that I did not have enough muscle to get that look that I want. And the look that I wanted had more muscle. Even though I was dick skin lean, I didn't have the look that I want because I didn't have enough muscle to make it look lean. I just, well, I, I looked lean, but I didn't look the lean, my version of lean that I had in my head. Like yeah. there are so many different versions of lean because people just do not know what it takes. And this is going back to the brain likes having control. I don't actually, I, I, I still don't understand. I don't know where it came from, from my need. I think it was actually, no, I do know. I thought that I would let myself go. Like I just said, I just connected it again. I always thought that the reason was I was scared I was going to quit and not keep my motivation because my mom had it revved into me because of my ADHD. It now makes sense. I would start something. I would never complete it. I'd get bored. I'd want to try something else. 
And because my parents don't come from an affluent family, everything was taken to heart. Mum would never put me into the things that I liked if they were expensive because I'm just going to quit again. I'm just going to get bored and quit again. Oh, you're just going to quit like you always do. Like they don't mean ill harm by the things that they say, but they were the things that they like they told me over and over again and they don't see it in that way. Oh, you're just finding someone to blame. Like people will always make you feel shamed for your awareness of how you have evolved. So it's usually, as Clara said, it's just better to just accept the status quo and how you are instead of trying to put the pieces together and get shamed because you're the one that's evolving. There's that. But I think that came from my inherent fat phobia of I'm just going to lose my progress. I'm just going to get fat again. If I don't have this comp to work towards, what's going to keep me showing up at the gym? So that was my, that was like my thing of just showing up. So what do I know? I competed literally eight times in the span of two years, I think, two and a half years, two and a half years, eight comps. Imagine how much of that was building. Yeah, I went into calorie surpluses by a lot but for how long not long enough because you don't build muscle in six months you don't even build muscle in like 12 months not the muscle that you say that you want mm. yeah sure you can start the progress just because it takes two years three years four years doesn't mean that nothing's happening in that time and it's funny because people are always wanting that end result but they're not wanting the patience and the work that gets there and abs I said this in a post and I don't know where I, where it came from. I just thought of it. Abs aren't built by crunches and sit-ups and fat loss. They're built by consistently lifting heavy for many, many years because those abs that you say that you want is on a body that is muscular. It has mm. muscle maturity and it's built over time. Unless you have crazy ass genetics that just give you abs because abs are a genetic thing, mm. then no, you're going to need to be lifting heavy ass shit, being consistent on your shit, building muscle for years and years to get to a point where now when you shred that time, you're going to see more of the body that you want. And for me, it took over two years in a surplus stage, which if I look at my surplus photos and I compared them, like I said, to where I am now, I felt like a fat potato, except the part where I started to actually realize that it wasn't about the body anymore. And I started to actually accept my body. But in the initial process for like the first one and a half years, I felt like a fat potato. I complained. I didn't like it. I was looking forward to getting more food every single time my food got increased. That was all I was looking forward to. But I didn't like the body that I was in. And I felt mm -hmm. like I still needed to do more to burn that off. And I'm hoping you resonate with this. But I remember accepting my body and having so much more fun in the whole process. Because by the like towards the end of that, I started to actually have a hobby. I started to go hiking. I started to enjoy myself outside of the gym more. I got into a couple of really shitty relationships. Mm. I learned my lessons, but I was on top of the world in those relationships because I see the photos. I had something to distract me away from where I was. I was fulfilled in my life. Mm. I don't have that same thing now, but going through that process is what got me to where I am now. And it's actually what, why I'm so happy with where I am now. And I want to just, well, not so happy. I actually wish that I kept the muscle that I lost over lockdowns. And this is a thing. You do not realize what you got until it's gone. And mm -hmm. I, as like, yes, I appreciated what I had towards the end of that, but I never appreciated it the same way that I do now. Like I would do a chin up and then realize I used to do chin ups with 15 kilo dumbbells. I used to do them with a 20 kilo dumbbell. I used to do this. I used to do that. 
and I always took it for granted. And if anything, I was still comparing myself to other people that were higher up than me. And this is just a rant to say, like, there, I hope you get something from this because I'm trying to say, I was like you, I understand it. I've done all the comparisons. It's just that I've been doing this for over eight years now. So mm. I don't speak about it as regularly. And yeah. I think I think this is the thing that's wrong with social media as well as that people don't actually speak about where they started. And that makes a like that makes the biggest difference because you're seeing where they are now and what they're preaching to people where they are now because they lost touch with where they were before. So then we're listening to, okay, these are the things we need to overcome now. It's like, no, they're not. Those are further along the line. Like there's more to it. But again, I want to go back to this letting go of control because yeah. when they when they ask for help, when they ask for coaching, they're very hesitant about it. And like I had a girl who inquired who was very worried about the process because it's like she she made it sound like she already knew what she wanted to do. She just wanted a little bit of help. But then as she got further into it, it was more along the lines of like she it still having such a numbers orientation. But some people, especially my girls, they don't get the numbers orientation because I fuck up the scales. But like they it's how their body feels. It, they use how their body feels, which is still a subjective measure. It's still not objective. And the scale is the same way. You can't really have an objective scale number because it does all its own shit and you put your own value to it. And it's the worst predictor long-term. But anyway, how the clothes feel, how this feels, how that feels. But having such a physique-orientated focus, there's two parts in this story. You've got the control, you've got the safety, the defense, the fact that the brain loves certain certainty and predictability. But feeding into all this so it has a theme, how can a physique-orientated focus and approach impact your behaviors, your emotions, your eating patterns. And yeah, it's it's this hyperfixation on the body because what's to say that when you do a fat loss phase, that it's going to give you what you want. That when you do lose weight or lose fat or chase leaner again, what's to say that's going to make you more confident and happy to wear skimpy clothes and wear the gym shorts? Because mm. most of the time that hyperfixation is what makes you more conscious and self-berating. Yeah. Oh, okay. Lots. I'm gonna if uh, I'm gonna ask for your permission, but can I kind of use your own example of ADHD that you provided earlier to kind of like go run through that model? Okay. So we'll take your example, Ruby, that you very very kindly offered, um, and we're gonna take the part where you recognize that you know you kind of learn from an early age that you're the type of person that quits. You know, you were told. And you, and you kind of experienced throughout your life that you're the type of person that quits at things. Obviously, you know, I know that ADHD contributes to that, but that's the message that you learned from your parents, from yourself. You kind of observe that, oh yeah, I start things and I stop, right? And you recognize that there's a shame that comes from that. You know, we realize, oh, that's not a very good thing. You know, I'm the type of person that quits. Therefore, and I don't like the way that I feel or the way that I'm made to feel when that's kind of recognized in me. So that then makes us start to feel bad. And so then we might develop a fear of, of being seen as a quitter, you know. So because I've been shamed or I've felt shame for um, quitting in the past, I develop a fear of becoming a quitter. So I'm going to do anything I can to not quit. And so then how does that present? Or oh, suddenly you discover fitness and you're like, oh, this is cool. I'm going to pursue this weight loss goal and I'm going to pursue this leanness goal. And the more you pursue the leanness goal, the more you're like, well, I can't let go of this. 
because if I let go, if I go into my building phase, that triggers that fear for you quit. You quit because you said that you were going to try and get lean and now you're not doing that anymore, even though it's necessary, even though it's a part of the journey, even though if we're talking body competitive bodybuilding, it has both elements. But because you kind of engage in that fat loss phase to get to stage, any time that you even like consider perhaps consciously or, or not quite consciously to to pull away from fat loss and to kind of pursue a slightly different goal, your brain's going to go, ah, uh-uh, you're quitting. We hate quitting. The quitting, every time that you quit, you feel this overwhelming shame, like maybe not kind of up here, like sort of neck up, but certainly neck down. You have that kind of like visceral, physical experience of shame. And because, and again, I'm making lots of assumptions here, but because perhaps you have experienced that before and it's been so uncomfortable and so unpleasant and it's led you to have the story about yourself that you're a quitter and you don't want to be a quitter anymore and you want to change and you want to prove that you're different and that you've changed you will find yourself in a loop in which any time that you approach even the possibility of like going into a building phase you're like uh-uh, I'm not going to do that I'm going to keep getting leaner I'm going to keep getting leaner because when I stop trying to get leaner my body and my mind tell me that I've quit and quitting makes me feel really ashamed, makes me feel really bad. And so I'm going to avoid doing that. And so what I heard is that the thing that enabled you to kind of overcome that is realizing that going into gaining phase wasn't a sign of quitting, you know, kind of learning to be really uncomfortable with the feeling of quitting, but kind of uncomfortable with the, huh, I hate this. I hate the fact that I have to gain weight. Of course you hated the fact that you had to gain weight because according to everything in your mind and body, that was equivalent to quitting, of course. And so, and because quitting had previously given such an intense, you know, as a child growing up, whatever, that had led to experiences of shame and experiences being made to feel like a bad person for, for having ADHD, for having a very, very typical ADHD presentation of finding it difficult to stick to things, that was perhaps what was keeping that cycle going. Um, so I've made a lot of assumptions there, probably some of them are inaccurate, but that, can you see how that cycle then kind of continues on very, yeah. So we can see then how it's not, it's not so much the, I want to be lean, it's I don't like the feeling of quitting. And, and, and for you, perhaps that's what it is. For other people, it might just be that loss of control. Um, in terms of how does physique directed, or like how, how does an emphasis on our physique uh, perhaps impact on us? Um, I don't know the research off the top of my head, but there is a lot of evidence to show that when we pursue um, physique oriented goals that require us to focus on our food intake and on our exercise quite a lot, where a lot of emphasis is placed on that, that that increases our risk for developing a dependency or for developing kind of an unhelpful relationship with um, with both food and with exercise. And that isn't about bodybuilding, that, that's just somehow the way that our minds tend to work. And again, our minds work like that in the context of, of the society that we live in. But when we do start to draw attention to the way that we look, we start to think about the way that we look more. When we start to uh, see changes in our body, we almost want to do more changes. And so the temptation to do extra is is kind of, it, it's a very real temptation. And it's something that as coaches, I certainly know that when I work with my clients in sort of my coaching slash psychologist role, when we're losing weight, particularly when we're going through a pretty <clears throat> extended fat, you know, fat loss and weight loss phase, it's something that I'm always conscious of. Like an unintended consequence of successfully losing weight is that someone might get really scared of gaining weight. 
And so it's making sure that they're supported throughout that entire journey to make and just make us very, very aware of what is the function of this weight loss right now and just kind of continue to check in like is the function of this weight loss right now um helping you feel healthier and better or has suddenly the tracking the calories and all that become a mechanism of control and a mechanism of stress regulation and a way by which you avoid experiencing discomfort and it's a constant it's a you know it's one of those that tread carefully is what I always say to my clients and that's why I incorporate the psychotherapy to the work that I do because if I'm going to be taking someone through that I'm aware of the unintended consequences like I know that if I prep someone for a photo shoot it's a very very real risk that they're going to find it really difficult to pull away from that hyperfixation with food and exercise so we need to help them with that equally when someone is going through a building phase i'm acutely aware of the fact that um you know when they're eating more and they're getting more calories and things like that 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 the other mechanisms of control might show up if someone's going through a building phase and they feel incredibly uncomfortable i need to start um i need to start picking up on what are they doing um are they starting to control their physique in a slightly different way um are they you know are they are they engaging in other unhelpful coping mechanisms and so there's a whole world to that and it's just ensuring that when somebody is going through whatever phase uh particularly a phase or like a journey that has an emphasis on their physique and that has an emphasis on um, their food in which we're having to think about how much are we eating what are we eating how much are we exercising you know what types of exercises exercises are we doing that both as a coach and as a psychologist we're really drawing our attention and the client's attention to the potential risks and I think that this is where also developing a coach's self-awareness is really important because in so many different ways um, if a coach isn't aware of the potential risks if a coach doesn't realize that um you know that maybe a client's experience could be different to theirs for example you see a lot of coaches that are like well I've never struggled with body image and I've done plenty of diets like so they just kind of had this assumption that clients won't struggle either and when clients do struggle they find themselves stumped so um yeah but there's kind of a lot in there that we kind of need to be aware of and particularly as coaches kind of draw our attention to to what could be there for our clients and that's why her personal self-awareness is so important um i'm just reading what you said there ruby they're not just wanting to lose fat but wanting to see changes in their body uh because changes take so long um so yeah sometimes just thinking about our physique and only setting outcome-based goals that are measurable based on the way that we look is not helpful and that's why having process-based goals and thinking about performance and not just thinking about achieving a specific look or taking emphasis away from that and having kind of other legs under the table can also be really, really helpful. Yeah, because obviously we're going to start any process with wanting to change our physique, but this is where, again, bringing in the control, not willing to let our goals evolve with us, which is one of the biggest things because it's like, your goals are going to evolve with you if you're doing it right, because you're always going to start off with some inherent focus on my body needs to change this way, or I'm still not looking the way that I want, or like, or when Clara said, maybe my body changed a little bit too much in the way that I don't like, and I, and life started getting really busy, and then I gained three kilos, and now I have to put in all this effort to do that because I'm so physique focused, now I'm losing control. Well, except you don't realize this, it's just the outcome of your behaviors it's that we see it as coaches but because you're still so <laughs> focused then you start to sabotage yourself 
and you wonder why even if you're on 2000 calories for example you could still be sabotaging yourself with your food because the physique is still the outcome and you haven't learned how to shift focus to mm-hmm. something that empowers you to something that adds to your life and takes you to the next level because right. there is always somewhere to tap into more potential but it's hard to do that when your only measure of progress is getting leaner seeing more muscle getting more muscle definition and you yeah. can't accept the mundane that leads it's it's almost like i think this because this used to be a little thing of mine as well it's like but you don't see the you weren't you don't see the value in doing the same shit day after day and just having to repeat the same stuff it's like well then what's the whole point where am i getting my value here and i'm like that is the value stopping you doing dumb shit number one but in providing you the pathway and the education behind whatever it is like if you have a coach for example it's like yeah but that is still part of it they're there to 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 make sure that you're moving in the right direction to keep monitoring all those things things don't change like i used to think that macros used to change every couple of weeks that they should always change and it's even worse if you're part of those like macro tracking apps i don't know if they still do it the same way but it's like you'd weigh in or do whatever every single week. And then if you are 100% compliant, it will give you a suggestion to increase your macros by a little or reduce them by a little. But that was just to keep you bought into the app. Because if things were really the way that it was, the app would leave you at the same macros 24-7. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Shit, I'll change that fast. I'll let you take over that one. Yeah, yeah. No, I think Bring the control back in because you <laughs> nailed it before I clicked record. Yeah, no, I think like <clears throat> you make a really good point And I think what you said in terms of starting a journey with the the goal to change your physique it often like it always bears the question of whose goal is that like why do you want to change your physique like why does it matter to you because does it matter to you because you've been told your entire life that you should look different or actually is this inherently a goal that you want to pursue and that's why anytime i start work with a new client the first thing that i do is identify what their values are so i get them to do like a little values quiz uh so i can see well actually what matters to this person and then can we map on the goals to and the behaviors to those values so i'll give you an example of a client that recently just finished working with me but we worked together for 11 months now when she and i hope she she won't mind me kind of sharing this this sort of story semi-anonymously um but when she started working with me the goal was to lose body fat and like and build muscle which is kind of pretty standard um and so we started our work together and very successfully lost around about a stone uh so about like seven kilos Uh, And then kind of went into the maintenance phase, but we were doing so much deeper work in identifying what mattered to her. So for example, she, her top two values were like health and family. And uh, she would stress a lot about like how much time she could commit across the week to training. Like maybe she, she could maybe go to the gym three to four times, sometimes, sometimes less, sometimes more, but like normally it would be maybe three to four times. And so she had a lot of stress and worry around um can I go to the like should I be going to the gym more should I be going less like am I going to achieve my goals and it was my job was to remind her well I mean yeah you could go to the gym six days a week but then you'd be taking away two days over the weekend of spending time with your family and do you want that like is is that important to you is that is going to the gym and achieving your ideal dream physique more important to you than spending that time with your family and being flexible with your food over the weekend and it was kind of that 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 re- the entire kind of I would say maybe like the majority of our, of the time that we worked together maybe like for nine or eight months. That's what our conversations were about. It was about 
actually what 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 value is this in the service of like are you going to the gym maybe three times a week yet yeah, to, to work on your value of health but any more than that is actually it's, it's sort of taking away from other parts of your life and so it became so important to her to kind of really really realize actually what the, what am i doing what the fuck am i doing here why am i doing what i'm doing and at the end of our work <coughs> you know we sort of we we done a lot of this deep work and it kind of just she just was like I, I don't even care about losing weight anymore. Like I'm just really happy with her. I feel like a beast. I'm training really well. I can do I can do all the other things that matter to me. And so from the outset, perhaps someone might look in and say, well, the goals that you guys had at the beginning, you've not accomplished that because you said that you were going to try and lose X amount of weight or try to accomplish this, this and that. Whereas actually for me and for my clients, the work that we did was incredibly successful because not only did she lose a bit of weight, feel better, like get to a point where she felt really comfortable and maintain that weight loss, which is incredible. Like losing weight is one thing, maintaining it is a different thing. Um, but she realized that actually she didn't want to pursue leanness anymore. And that actually that wasn't a goal that was important to her. And that actually her values, you know, she she could live out her values without having to pursue a goal that wasn't even hers to begin with because recognizing that made her realize that actually she wants to be healthy but she wants to be healthy and in a way that also means that she can go out for you know over the weekend spend time with her family and and cook from scratch and not and, and not care about these things and so i think there's so much power in in really really recognizing a whose goal is that but i mean it takes a lot of time for someone to come to realization that maybe that's not their goal and so as coaches slash psychologists just being the facilitators for that journey is such an imperative process because again whose whose goal is someone trying to pursue if, if they're trying to get really really lean if that's not something intrinsic they're going to be so fixated on the outcome and i think i'll come let you talk in a sec ruby but when i think of the reasons why i prepped for me bodybuilding and getting shredded it wasn't about bodybuilding and getting getting shredded it was to an extent but it was about personal growth and development like for me I got so much personal growth and so much personal development out of pushing myself to that to that extreme but the bodybuilding journey in itself that was aligned with the value of mine you know it was it was helping me live out this this way of growing and this way of developing as a person and so yeah the goal of course was to step on stage and to look a particular way but it, it the the value was in doing the actions because I felt like I was growing as a person through it so the outcome didn't matter so much so long as I felt like I was getting what what mattered to me from the bodybuilding journey if that makes sense it does and you said something really important there and it's like the goal may not be yours but at the same time it very well might be but your perception of that goal is wrong what you think it need what you think it takes to get to that goal is wrong you're yeah. all seeing it in a different language than it actually is sort of thing mm -hmm. but I guess also it's almost like yeah I don't want to accept this because that means that I might not get the body that I want in the end and I am letting myself go and then I am get I'm never going to actually get lean and then I'm not going to be happy with my body it's like you can have this conflicting thing in your head which is where I try to marry I try to marry the two together because yes I am completely physique orientated but I'm not completely physique orientated. It's my base. It's like, I think I said that wrong. It's like, yes, I want my body to look a certain way, but I'm not completely physique orientated is what I was meant to say. I'm like, I'm mindset orientated. I'm, I'm performance orientated. I want to focus on the things that give me the happiness, the joy, the thrill now, because chasing, focusing on my physique goals 
isn't going to make me happy in the now. It's not going to make me happy in four weeks, in six weeks, in six yeah. months, because I'm not going to see the changes that quickly. But the mm -hmm. best thing I can do is, okay, I know that this is where I want to go. What are the steps I need to get there? This is why it's so important to have a coach as well, but it's like the steps I need to get there is showing up to my sessions, making sure that I'm fueling to perform myself so that to perform myself, so that I'm fueling to perform so that I can put in the effort in those sessions. I'm actually recovering from that effort. I'm feeding the, the bum because the bum, yes, the bum, because the bum wants to grow. But that's another thing I actually reflect on now. I remember crying on the freaking leg extensions and I remember like literally crying because someone came up to me and asked me what's wrong and I didn't want to be at the gym because I was like slaving away and burning myself out in the gym and doing all this extra volume. And here I am. I used to hate leg days. You can ask anyone. I only just started liking leg days. I think as of last year or this year, I don't mm. know, wise, but only recently I used to fucking hate them. But that's because I hated my legs. They were like these things that I just wanted to change. So I used to hammer them. And it's it's like I used to put in all this effort to change my legs and I only really started really changing them when I stopped chasing lean and started chasing powerlifting when the goal was to build muscle and to get stronger. But the, the, the message behind that is I was putting in all this effort in my prime years where I could have built the best physique, the Greek goddess physique, but I wasn't feeding the work I was putting in. So here I am wasting this time, wasting this effort, wasting my prime years wanting to just be a smaller version of myself, but I wasn't doing the one necessary step that I was avoiding. <clears throat> yeah. In and have for it. So yeah, I'm finished my little reel. I'll let you tie it up there. <laughs> yeah, no, and I think you kind of summarize it well, right? It's like, it's that whole quote of, it's not a dream body if it was a nightmare to get there. And I really, really like reminding my clients of that because actually if there's no joy in the process if there's no if there's no attention to the process what 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 is the outcome for like who are we trying to perform for who are we trying to look good for are we trying to look good for ourselves because actually if we don't if we don't cultivate that grounded sense of self-worth it really doesn't matter what we look like and you know I would absolutely agree that for a lot of people, yes, changing their physique is going to make a huge impact of their self-esteem. And it's and it's super important to be able to facilitate that to, as coaches, to be able to support someone through that change process and really help them feel empowered. But always making sure that the change is married with a constant cultivation of self-acceptance, a constant cultivation of self-kindness. Because if I can't accept myself, in the journey i'm not going to accept myself at the destination and it's so important to be able to be cognizant of the things that are affecting it i'll give you a personal example when um i finished competing and kind of i was then going to be getting married and so i really 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 struggled to let go of control um in terms of like control of my body and everything like that and when i basically hadn't had a period for 10 months and after i got married i just thought you know what I'm letting go. I'm just going to completely let go. A bit like Stephanie Buttermore when she sort of went all in. Similar thing. I, I just kind of let myself go all in. And it was horrendous. I knew I was going to gain weight. And I did gain a lot of body fat really, really quickly. I also got my period in two and a half months. So there's that. But after after letting go of control, of course. Um, but it was that whole fear of if I lose control and if I gain weight, the fear of I'm going to hate myself like I can't accept myself in a bigger body like it was almost like in my head an inevitability that I was not going to like the way that I looked if I gained weight because every time that I'd maybe pushed high in a gaining phase in a building phase in bodybuilding I always felt really uncomfortable and it was always also on the condition that 
I'm building because I know I'm going to lose weight. There was never kind of a, a real acceptance of, of sitting at that higher body fat percentage. And so getting my period back and gaining weight for my period was was so important because uh, and it was so difficult because I was coming face to face with this with my key fear of if I look bigger I'm gonna hate myself and I can't live with myself if I look like that and actually now you know I'm probably in the best shape of my life not because I look any particular way I don't look like the best shape of my life kind of in terms of photos per se but the best shape of my life that allows me to enjoy my training to push myself when I've got the energy to push myself to rest and to just live my life in a balanced way that makes sense to me so go for it you said something because you pushed yourself in a building phase before and you remember the discomfort I think a lot of people especially if they started off overweight or they started off really hating their bodies and then they changed in some way and then they're scared to get back to that totally I think that's a really important part as well. But I do want to harp on the fact that changing your body will not guarantee that you will ever like your body. Because if you click your fingers and your body changes, nothing else in your life changes, you still will not be happy in your body. Yeah, you can't hate yourself skinny. It just it doesn't work. It doesn't work. You can't you can't motivate particularly long-term change from a place of self-disgust, a place of self-hatred. Because that, I mean, even if you do physically change, often we seek an internal change by changing something external about ourselves. So when we're trying to change our physique, particularly when it's motivated from a place of, of, of not liking ourselves, what we're trying to do is change the way that we feel about ourselves. And actually, the only way that we know to do that is by changing the way that we look when actually it, it, it kind of, not the other way around, but it should certainly be accompanied by an internal change. I always say to my clients, you know, it's as it, it working out and working in are both equally important and we need to be able to do both we need to be able to yeah put in the work do the training do the steps do the make sure that we're eating in a particular way nourishing our bodies fueling our bodies but if we don't accompany that process with an internal change with the internal work of what's showing up for me right now why am I doing this how am I feeling am I living like the type of person that I want to be not just do I look like the type of person that I'd like to look like is am I showing up in the world as a person that I like to be and for me I know for certain that when I was at my leanest when I was at my shredded bodybuilding absolute hashtag goals I was showing up like an absolute little shit like I had zero patience for my partner I didn't really have a lot of energy to put towards my friends I wasn't really able to be present in my friendships and my other relationships with my family but I looked according to the internet fucking amazing um but was i living the life that i wanted to be living god no missing out on social events i'm not really feeling like i could fully participate in social events just just in the service of looking a particular way which you know at the time served a very real value and a real goal but there's no like you couldn't pay me money to, to sort of have to maintain that like there's no way i, I would never take that over you know just looking a particular way but but that but letting go of that was so difficult and making peace with like do you know what I'm actually never going to compete as a bodybuilder again that's really scary because then it implies oh shit you know the weight that I do gain or the muscle that I do build I'm not I'm not intending to peel back all the layers and to get shredded I, I'm not I'm just I'm just intending to be as I am and to kind of work on that 
acceptance and work on that maintenance. And that is so difficult when I've always been facing this change because I've just not allowed myself to accept the way that I am in the here and now. And that, you know, and I'm a coach and I'm a psychologist and it took me going through that journey and going to therapy too, to be able to recognize that. And so, you know, to the point that we started off with, with self-awareness, with all due respect, like we all think we're really self I thought I was dead self-aware and actually it wasn't until I had somebody else point all these things out to me that I went holy shit I did not have a clue of how much I was rewind say that again say that again because it's so important say that again um it wasn't until I went to therapy and had someone else point these things out to me that I realized how unaware I was of how I was projecting my own beliefs and securities view of the world into the world it's that whole what I said at the beginning it's like I was wearing glasses but they were so kind of glued to my face that I didn't even know that they were there I couldn't see the frame and my metaphorically speaking it's almost like my therapist just went and then she just took the glasses off me and I went what (laughs) what have I been doing um you know over a period of time of course and but but I think it's just so important to realize that um we're not as self-aware as we think and that's why to kind of, you know, we're not self-aware as we think. And that's why, as even the psychologists, we have supervisors because supervisors can see things that we can't see. Um, supervisors can point out assumptions that we're making that we don't realize that we're making because we're just operating with our mental image of the world. And so for a client, <clears throat> if they say, I'm really self-aware, like I'm really aware of what I'm doing, I'm like, mm, but are you? Because I am not, I'm seeing a discrepancy here. It doesn't seem to me like, like there is all that self-awareness that, that you're experiencing, but obviously saying that to clients is incredibly jarring. So it's facilitating that awareness process. You know, how can, you know, okay, tell me a bit more about that. Let's get curious about this. Let's explore this a bit more. And then you kind of see the penny drop and it's like, oh, <laughs> wow. I didn't realize that I wanted to lose weight because I've, you know, been told my whole life that I'm disgusting and useless. And actually that was just one way of me trying to modify that internal experience by changing my body. I just thought that, oh yeah, I know that I'm a bit like perfectionistic. Ah, no, that that, that wasn't what was there, but ultimately it's, it's for the client to realize. Everything we are doing is an attempt to modify our internal experience because it is uncomfortable in a way or we feel like it could be in a different place. But you said something that reminded me of something because I completely forgot. I used to be like, I can't wait. This used to be my little excuse to myself because you said it. I can't wait until I build a lot of muscle to then shred it all off again and finally go on stage with a lot of muscle. Mm -hmm. And then as soon as (laughs) that was the only way I could get myself to commit to it for long enough, it's like, I'll do it again. I'll do it again. But as soon as you get, as soon as I got into the process and I fell in love with it all and I shifted my perspective and I realized I don't want to, I don't want to diet again. I don't want to get that lean again. And my perception of my body was completely different before. And this is speaking as me at the evolved, not me now. And now I'm actually enjoying the things that I'm doing. I'm enjoying the energy that I have and not having to diet. I don't want to diet again. I spend most of my life doing that. So yeah, this, this conversation is really powerful and you need to get clips from this very last part because you can say you're as aware as, aware as you want but you will never be fully woke because you will always see things through your own mental model of the world because mm-hmm. the world isn't as it is it's how you see it absolutely yeah and it's just a reminder that we're thinking no we're feeling beings that think so 
we we start with feelings and then kind of we have this ability to kind of mentalize and analyze but like if we look at babies they they just they're just able to feel and kind of express those feelings without kind of analyzing them and changing them and modifying them and um yeah it's just a, it's a humble reminder that we're just human uh and that you know part of this isn't there's no shame in you know being less self-aware than we think that there's nothing wrong with that um but it's just recognizing it that it's a very very normal thing and that actually it's an exciting opportunity to develop a bit more self-awareness to kind of get curious about what's there for us um because there's layers there's always layers and it's, it's quite exciting to peel them back because then we really get to the the core what's what's there who am i what am i trying to do what is this in the service of and how do i want to live my life like what how do i want to be remembered what do i want to be doing with my life um which spans way 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 beyond just the way that we look and the way that we train and the way that we eat but it also kind of can come straight back to that too i absolutely love that and those are some good questions for you guys listening to this to go away and answer and if you got anything beneficial from this podcast, please, please reach out to Clara, reach out to me. Her handle is below Clara underscore the exercise. And nice. you don't have to scroll down the whole thing. I'm putting it right at the top so you can go click it and message her and stalk her page. And if you have any questions for me, if you have any guests you want to see, hit me up as well. Mine will be down there. And please like the show. Please rate the show. You don't have to leave a review, but I would like to see those five-star ratings click up because like I said, you're not going to get any ads. You're not going to get any self-promotion. You're just going to get good old shit from people that I love, trust, and that you can love and trust too, because I am not going to sell my soul to the devil. (laughs) So Yeah, I love you guys, and you will hear me on the next podcast. Bye-bye. Thank you so much.